This is the second half of a, a message on hearing God's voice. And last time, I was emphasizing the fact that we have been made amazingly to respond and to hear God's voice in a whole variety of ways. And um, we went through a, a number of them, and I gave um, my own testimony of, of many, many ways in which God has spoken to me um, through the years. And Today, I want to focus more specifically on the message of Jesus in Matthew chapter 13, because he said a lot of things about, about hearing God's voice. It was a major theme of his. And in fact, when I look right through the Bible, hearing God's voice is so important. Look at Genesis 1. And right in Genesis 1, creation, we have the uh, voice of God, which brought about every beautiful thing that we see today. God spoke and there was light and he continued to speak and then he began to speak to um, individuals like Abraham and Noah and so forth. And then, of course, there was a great time when he began to speak to that collection of slaves who became the nation of Israel and he had a great many things to say to them to prepare them for nationhood. It's interesting that in the in the Jewish faith, the word that was spoken in, on Mount Sinai um, has continued to be the mark of their covenant. But it begins with that word Shema. Hear, it just means hear. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. And I believe uh, that even at the moment of death, this is what um, the, the one who, who loves God amongst the Jewish people will say, the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is one the Lord our God. And I love the fact that when we come to the New Testament, we find Jesus is the living word. You know, Hebrews puts it so well. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. And we went through some of them last time, sometimes through pictures, through visions, through uh, dramatic acts, all sorts of ways. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. He is the living word who brought about the creation of the universe. This son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. It's an amazing declaration of faith of Jesus as the living word. The word made flesh. And this is the testimony of one of his early and most beloved disciples, John, who said, the word became flesh and made his dwelling or tabernacled among us. No longer was there a tent um, or a temple. We are now the temples of the, of the Lord. And he said, we saw Jesus with our very own eyes. We gazed upon him. We heard him speak. Our hands actually touched him. The one who was from the beginning, the living expression of God, now, this is the one who speaks to us about the word. And he was foretold even back in the Psalms. And there's a wonderful little quote, Psalm 78. And in those of you who follow through the, the, the word for today, it's been interesting because we've been going through Deuteronomy, which gives the, the words from Sinai. And simultaneously, we've been going through Psalm 78, which is, my people, hear, Shema, hear my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth with a parable. I will utter hidden things, things from of old, things which we've heard and known, things our ancestors have told us. 
Now, parables are stories, often quite simple stories with a very specific teaching. And of course, the great parable teller of all time is Jesus. He chose to use this way, and so we see this as a prophecy of Jesus, that really he, more than anyone, has been the one whose words have uttered things that are both hidden and things that are very ancient, but also things that are new and relevant for today. And I'm, this is what I'm hoping as we, as we hear one of his stories today. This thing revealed and the thing concealed. It's interesting how the same message has opposite effects depending on who hears it. Um, I'll just give a little story because I, I, for some reason I started digging up these really old missionary books. I came across this ancient looking book in our bookshelves in Kiamaya and it's about Hudson Taylor. And it's um, the story of, of um, early, early days when the message of the gospel was so incredibly new and strange to the people of China. And this Mandarin had led, uh, had become a believer and led this totally notorious gambler and thug to the Lord. And this man was so on fire for Jesus that he would go and preach in the streets. And there was in another town nearby a, a, um, a guy who was essentially a slave. He was an orphan and he was living by himself, um, living by himself. He was living in a big household, but he was very much the despised slave and drudge. Now, one day he heard roars of laughter coming from the neighbors. And there, there, were, there was just a thin wall separating them, so he opened it and put his head against it, and they were laughing and screeching with laughter and mockery. I thought, what are they laughing about? It was the prodigal son. The story of the prodigal son. They were in hoots of laughter at this ridiculous story. They'd never heard anything so funny in their lives, and they were rolling around as he was telling the story, just laughing and laughing. But when he heard the story, he was totally captivated. He had his ear up against the wall, and when the, when the man stopped speaking, he said, oh, don't stop now, don't stop now, please keep talking, please keep telling us more. And of course, the people through the wall were going, huh, what? And then they started laughing at him. So he had to come around, reveal who he was. He was the slave from next door. And he said, where did you hear this incredible story? And he said, oh, it was you know, that, that's in the city over there. And he found out the exact place where they'd been. He when he had an opportunity, he went to the city and he found the man who told the story and he heard more about this amazing God, this heavenly father, this loving, forgiving God. He had never heard such a story in his life and he became a believer. Came back, bursting with excitement to tell his family all that he'd heard in the city. They were disgusted and furious. They kicked him out and he was on the streets for some time. He'd lost everything. He'd lost his home. He'd lost what job he had. He'd lost the girl who was supposed to be marrying to him. But you know what happened? After quite a short time, the people in the family realized that they weren't managing very well without him. He actually did a lot of useful work. So they found him and they said, I think you better come back. We need you. So he came back and he was able to lead a significant number of that family to faith in Jesus as well. So there's an example of... The same word creating hunger and thirst and total mockery. And you know, this can happen with us. One person will hear the word and you may be very discouraged by their response. Don't be discouraged because there may be somebody else listening who quietly receives that word, thinks about it, and 
ultimately that becomes a fruitful word in their lives. Now, we talked about some of the ways God speaks to us. Sometimes, I've never had this, but some people hear an audible voice. For me, it's, it's the voice inside. Creation around us can speak to us. The scriptures, so many different ways we talked about. And I was interested, our, our songs and the worship were so much on this theme. I'm sure you notice as well how hear the word spoken from the tree. His blood speaks everything. You know, and it's true, this is a living message to us. It's the living message of God to us every time we take it. It's alive. It's real. It's not just a symbol. It is real for us today. God is speaking. But for other people, they just look at it and as they say, it's bread from your world. So you know, it depends if you have the eye of faith, if the Holy Spirit speaks life into it. Okay, this is the story we're focusing on today. And we've talked about things old and something new. And I pray that while it may be an old and familiar story, it'll be fresh and relevant today. So Father God, I just pray now that you will open our hearts to receive fresh revelation today. Holy Spirit, remind us of what we need to be reminded of and open our hearts to receive, I pray. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. This is an outdoor teaching. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables. In fact, there were five, five stories in chapter 13. I'm just talking about the first one. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it didn't have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow, but when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. And then Jesus concludes that story by saying, whoever has ears, let him hear. Shema. So, what makes the difference in how we respond? Is it the seed? Clearly not. It's the same seed in every case. Was it the sower? No, clearly not. The same person was sowing in all cases. Was it the soil? Or was it the, the surroundings, the climate? Well, let's just have a look at the four. Some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Now, that happens to have brick on it. Sometimes it's just hard surface. Sometimes in our country, it's more likely to be um, tar-sealed, isn't it? Yeah. But a hard path where there's no chance that the, the seed is going to be able to grow. What was the problem with this path? First of all, clearly, it wasn't prepared. It wasn't, it wasn't supposed to be the place. It didn't believe that it was it, the place uh, where anything was to grow. In fact, it was very carefully prevented from growing anything. It was totally unreceptive. And it was unprotected. Nobody was saying, oh, we want these little seeds to grow well, so we're going to look after them. Not at all. In fact, they were quite deliberately going to be uh, removed. In this case, birds of the air, which Jesus says represents the enemy, Satan, 
uh, so the seed is quickly removed. So I think we could describe this particular thing as being hard-hearted and resistant to the word. Now, I think this has a general and a specific meaning. It can refer to the gospel message as such, but it may be some, many people here are already Christians, most of us, I believe, already know Jesus, but there may be pockets of resistance, hard areas where we say, well, this, this is no-go territory. This is not an area where I'm prepared to change. We put the tar seal over it, as it were. That's a hard area. We may not have done it consciously. Sometimes it's unconscious, but if that is the case, maybe today is the day when God's going to reveal some hard area in our hearts that needs to be dealt with. Then the second one. Some fell in rocky places. It sprang up quickly, but there's only a thin layer of soil there, you see. So while it sprang quickly, when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and withered. There wasn't any substantial root there. There was no water source down below to keep them alive in that heat. So I believe that this shallow soil is an example of somebody even says they responded joyfully. You know, we can be quite excited sometimes because people seem to respond very positively to a message. Oh, that was such a good word. Thank you for that. It was really great. But what happens tomorrow when they're at work? What happens when they go home and share something? Maybe there's shrugs or scorn or a bit of a laugh, whatever it may be. Oh, he's got religion. She's, oh, going on about that again or whatever it may be and you feel crushed and what was received with joy just withers away maybe it's because you haven't counted the cost that there are actually going to be implications if we obey in this area it's going to be costly whether financially in terms of time in terms of relationships for some reason it's going to be costly so we say yes yes I'll do that but then whoa suddenly you think oh goodness I don't think I can do that it would cost me too much. I've got enough on my plate already, or whatever it may be. And so that initial response of joy just withers away. And you look around and think, where was so-and-so? Weren't they going to be coming and helping? Oh, no, they got too busy. Shallow root. So whatever it is, the sun, which should be a lovely thing for plants, becomes just a source of death because of the shallowness. It's the opposite of what Paul is hoping for us when he, when he prays in Ephesians 3 that we might be rooted and grounded in love. You know, when your roots go down deep in the love of Jesus, then you're not going to be withering up the moment. There's a bit of opposition because that root is there, like that dear Chinese slave who's, even though he knew so little, he was putting down deep roots. So when, this, when the sun of opposition came, he was strong. He was able to dig down into it. And, and continue to receive the love of the Father who had forgiven him. Then other seed fell among the thorns which grew up and choked the plant. So what's this talking about? Thorns in the Old Testament, and I think in the New, nearly always symbolize rebellion of some sort, by the way. I've noticed that's rebellion. Um, anything that doesn't come from God, in fact. Um, it, Sometimes they seem like quite good things. I mean, you look at what they represent here. It's talking about the distractions of life. You know, this is one that really speaks to me because um, I guess most of us women, mothers, housewives, or whatever, we take great pride in multitasking. And I, I've, I've always, it's always been a joke that I do about six things at once. You know, I'm reading a book and I'm putting on the washing machine and I'm talking to somebody. I'm doing, you know, and this is what all mothers are like. We all do lots of things at once. 
But I got a terrific shock recently when I was listening to a man of God and he said, Jesus hates multitasking. Woo! I felt really, really, what? I've always prided myself on my multitasking. But I realized that we're talking about when, when you're searching for God, when you're praying, when you're listening to his word, no multitasking. And that's really been important for me because, you know, sometimes it's just a temptation to have the Bible here, but I have my cell phone there and somebody goes, ding, and they think, oh, I must see what that is. Multitasking. No. So sometimes, and some of you know that sometimes I find it easier to get up in the middle of the night when it's zero distractions. I don't even put the light on. And it's, for me, that works quite well because I am, I've, I've got this long-standing habit of multitasking. But I think I'm improving, and I think, by God's grace, he's, he's helping me to immediately identify it when I start doing that. But life's busy distractions, a divided heart, ambitions of other sorts which have nothing to do with kingdom ambitions can get in and just choke away at, this, at the word. So, again... Even for those of us who are believers, let's look out for these things. Let's be careful that when a, when a word comes into us, into our minds, whether it's Sunday morning or in a message on TV or a song that's in our hearts, whatever it is, or maybe a friend speaks to us, maybe a little baby like Elena speaks that word of life, wherever it comes from, we can just allow that word to fly away almost instantly unless we are careful. And these are the sorts of things that choke the word, I believe. It's different for each of us, probably, but the kingdom message is so such a treasure, such a treasure, and it really is cheapening it to mix it up as I was doing so often. And then we come to the good soil, producing a crop, 160, 30 times what was sown. And we all know examples of people like that, that dear man I was telling you about in China, who have allowed the seed, the word, from Jesus to become a fruitful word. So that when the sun comes, it's a good thing. It's nothing to be afraid of. Opposition, funnily enough, opposition, which was presented there as the sun, if you have the water as well, you have the life, you need both of those things. And in this world, Jesus said, you will always have opposition. You'll always have temptation. It's just the way it is. It's going to happen in this life. But one of the reasons is so that we put down those roots deeply and search for that water um, as in Psalm 1, you remember um, the tree of life, constantly bearing fruit because that water source is deep and well-established and the roots are healthy roots. There's a good, healthy root system. So winds can blow and storm can come and the tree remains strong and fruitful. So what makes good soil? Hearing the word alone is not enough because as we know, you can, you can hear it, but either hard soil or thorny or um, alternatively very shallow soil can prevent fruitfulness. But it needs to be plowed and softened. Um, the other day, Sue was showing me this field in, in Cambodia, and I couldn't believe it. It was, it was, it was incredibly fruitful, and yet none of, the, none of the ways in which the soil was being planted were the ways that I'm familiar with from childhood in India. And I said, how did this happen? And she said, oh, they're using plows now. And the, 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 the method of plowing, it, puts, it goes so deep that it's very, very much more fruitful and much more fertile than, than with the old system with a very, uh, very um, well, the human 
limitations of the old-fashioned plow or even the ox. So well-plowed soil so that you go right deep so that that, that area below the immediately sh immediate shallow surface is broken up, that hard area hidden. And you know, that, again, speaks to each one of us, I believe, or certainly speaks to me. You, know, you can have this lovely soft surface and you jump up and down with joy with what's happening. But what's happening down a bit lower than that? Maybe there's hardness down there. And we don't see it and the church doesn't see it, but God sees it and we can say, Lord, I want to be a plowed field. I want to be a well-plowed field. It's painful. Don't ask it unless you want it. It's painful because it digs down and breaks up the stuff that we would in many cases just prefer to have that nice soft veneer. But he's, you know, there's no soft veneer with the plowing. It goes deep and it doesn't look so beautiful, does it? For a while it looks quite messy because everything's exposed. Stones are exposed, rocks are exposed, old root systems, old weeds. Everything's sort of tossed up by the plowing but then able to be dealt with. Whereas if it's hidden there, it can't be dealt with. So there's the ploughing and the softening. And then there has to be the watering. And this is done by Holy Spirit, asking Holy Spirit to, to water every part of our hearts. And of course, when the crop comes, it will vary depending on who we are, all, lots of factors. But remember, it's God who gives the increase, so God gets the glory. There's no way I can sit here and strive to be very fruitful. That's not how it's done. As Jesus said, just abide in the vine, as long as you're abiding, it'll happen. You don't have to screw up some sort of superhuman effort. I've got to grow. You know, that's not how it's done at all. It is simply abiding, resting in him, allowing Holy Spirit to work in us to produce the crop. And that's the good soil. And I was just interested to see there was one church. It's not spoken about in great detail, though there are two letters to this church. The Thessalonian church. I looked in Acts 17, and I think Paul only spent three weeks there. It was after he'd been in um, Philippi, which was very dramatic. He went to uh, Thessalonica, and he preached three times, and then he was kicked out. Typical. I mean, that's what happened a lot to Paul, as you know. But this is the letter he wrote to them. He thanked God for them, because when you received the word... You accepted it, not as a human word, in other words, just, not just like bread from you world, but as the living word of God at work in you who believe. So they had faith. They received it with faith. And then the sun, the opposition came. You suffered from your own people the same things those churches suffered from the Jews who killed the Lord Jesus and also drove us out. So suffering came, but what was the outcome? they obviously remain strong because he ends up saying, you are our glory and joy. So he must have looked at that little church, only three weeks of evangelism and teaching, and they were a joy and a delight to him. A fruitful crop. So, you know, it's amazing, isn't it? It's not how long, it's, it's how the heart is. And those Thessalonians, for some reason, their hearts were ready and their hearts were prepared and they became a joy and a glory, not just to Paul, but of course, he was looking forward to going to heaven and one day meeting them again and saying to Jesus, Lord Jesus, this is your church, these are your people, they're the glory and the joy that I bring to you, this is my offering to you. He loved to think about that, that was, a, that was always the motivation of, of Paul's heart. And so just a reminder... It's not my teaching 
that I want to share with you. I hope that through this, the teaching of Jesus has, has come to you and that each person here will have received something from him. And I, I, I feel that when, when I receive a word, and I'm hoping and trusting that everybody's received something this morning, whatever it may be, whether it's encouragement or warning or rebuke or um, uh, just maybe a question. Questions are very important. You know, um, one, of the, one of the greatest uh, and most encouraging things for a teacher is a good question. You don't need to know the answer as a teacher, but the wonderful thing is that we can go to the great teacher who does know the answer. And asking questions, maybe a question has come up here. And I encourage you, this is what I find journaling is often most useful for, starting with a question and then asking the Lord to help reveal an answer. And so you may have an answer, and it may take a while coming. Sometimes I've looked through uh, my journals and there's been quite a long delay uh, before the answer has come. But then I thought, wow, that's the most wonderful answer, far better than if I'd got it immediately. I had to wait for it, but it was worth waiting for. So... I hope you've been listening and I hope you've heard a word. And now I'm going to just pray. And after that, I'm going to encourage you to, to share something um, with a person near you. It may be that you, that you want prayer for one of these items. Or it may be you have an encouraging thought for the other person. But I believe that we can all say today, Shema, hear, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And that one loving Lord, one loving God is... Even though he's one, he's speaking to us individually today. Just pray. First of all, I just want to remind you of the words of the hymn that we sang at the beginning. Hear the words spoken from the tree. Your blood speaks everything. Thank you. Thank you for this wonderful covenant of peace, which has made peace between God and us. That you, Lord Jesus, have covered us with your precious blood. And this is why we've been able to worship you this morning freely, able to enter your presence, able to have fellowship, and to know the deep forgiveness, the deep cleansing that you give to us. And we want to walk in that each day. And so we thank you, Lord, that you speak to us freshly. We thank you, Lord, that you are the living word. We thank you, Lord, that you continue to speak to us. And I just pray now for each one of us that there will be a word of truth, a word of life that you speak into each one of our hearts. Now I'm just going to encourage us to, in twos or threes, just to turn to the person near us and to share something that you have heard with that person and pray together that this will, this will be a word that goes deep that this word will not tomorrow or later today be burnt up by opposition or strangled by thorns or hit a hard place in our hearts, but that this will become a fruitful word. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.